Ladies and gentlemen, you found the program that pulls no punches, that knocks out political correctness, and delivers a right cross to defend the Constitution. We call it Fighting Words. And now, entering the ring, retired infantry colonel, trial lawyer, and fighter for truth and justice, Kurt Schlichter. Hey everybody, welcome to Fighting Words, the Hugh Hewitt affiliated podcast by me, Kurt Schlichter, that uh, I dance around the edges of FCC compliance, but I adhere to it. Unlike my unredacted podcast over there on Town Hall VIP, which you ought to check out, uh, it's a lot of fun, gets a little salty, maybe a little peppery. It's also got some Tony Chetchery hot Cajun seasoning in it. So you want to check that out and become a member over at Town Hall VIP. They need to get my extra town hall column on wednesdays as because you need it in addition to my two regular columns on monday and thursday and of course get my book 21 biggest lies about donald trump and you you need to go get that okay now that i've done all my marketing stuff perhaps my marketing people will release my family now because i've done my job we can weigh into all the stuff that's going on on today which is july 29th 2020 uh, in fact, some news is breaking that maybe Hugh hasn't even had a chance to talk about. For one thing, there's a CNN report that uh, Supreme Court, ju- I'm quoting them, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh tried to sidestep abortion and Trump financial document cases, CNN reports. Now, uh, this tells me a, a couple things. The first thing is that someone inside the Supreme Court has broken faith. Now, the Supreme Court typically doesn't leak about deliberations, but apparently somebody got a hold of some of the memos that uh, Brett Kavanaugh passed around regarding the uh, Louisiana abortion provider case and the Trump financial cases and gave those to CNN. And it's going to be someone associated with the liberals because they're trying to make uh, Kavanaugh look bad. They're trying to make Kavanaugh look weak. They're trying to make Kavanaugh uh, look like he's a squish. But sidestepping cases is a lot of what judges do. Now, they essentially said, well, maybe we should send it back down to, you know, the Louisiana case. Let's let's send it back down to see how much of an issue it really is. That is, let's see how uh, let's have the trial court make some findings on how restrictive these restrictions actually are and what their effect are is are is. That's not unusual. That's that's part and parcel of what judges do. They judges do that all the time. Now they, they they what they'll do is when they get these cases, they circulate memos about their views. They're trying to win other people over to them. These are persuasive memoranda, and it is not at all unusual to say, "Wait a minute, you know this case is not ripe for a decision. We need more." facts. We need more factual determinations. Where our Supreme Court doesn't determine facts. Trial court determines facts. So suggesting maybe we should send it back down and not do it. Well, that does sidestep the decision. Yeah, I guess. But what it says is we're going to sidestep it because it's not ready to be decided. Now, if I recall correctly, Justice Kavanaugh uh, uh, came down in support support of the uh, of the uh, Louisiana rules. Um. But uh, and and, and Ro- I believe Roberts didn't. But <laughs> you know, Justice Roberts, the 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 you know, 
essentially brainstorming ways to handle cases is not at all unusual, but it's being looked at as sinister. And also on the Trump financial documents cases, he apparently circulated a memo that raised the question of, well, isn't this a separation of powers issue, that, a political question, actually, that we shouldn't get along or, or get uh, uh, get involved in because it's Congress versus the president. And maybe we should just shouldn't get involved in it at all. Now, that's not a crazy, insane position to have. Now, it's not one that I agree with or one that eventually the court uh, ruled on. If you remember, the court said no to the Congress and sent it back. And it said, uh, potentially, yes, the president is not immune to all service of process, that is subpoenas, but needs to go down to the trial court for more determinations of whether it's appropriate in this case. <gasps> they did what they did, what, what, what Kavanaugh suggested in the abortion case, which is essentially send it down to be, you know, have the mechanics worked out by the trial court judge, the district court judge, which is, you know, again, this is all typical stuff. So this stuff about, you know, Kavanaugh is trying to sidestep these decisions. Well, no, I, I mean, the, the, the end result is to delay a final ruling, but his argument, he was raising the possibility, maybe it's not finally determined. Now, he didn't convince the other judges to do it. Judges kind of rolled in, in, in the Louisiana case. Uh, but apparently, uh, and, and they did rule without doing the political question question, uh, issue and political, political question issue is basically the court says this is a political issue. I'm not getting involved. They decide not to do that. They actually had, you know, substantive rulings, but they sent them back down to the district court to continue proceedings in accordance with said rulings. So these were not accepted fully, but these are not unusual. You bring up arguments, you bring up theories. Sometimes you keep them till the end. Sometimes you discard them along the way. Maybe somebody sent back a, maybe somebody, maybe another judge sent back some, you know, here's my argument why we should do those things. And Kevin, I said, oh, okay, I'm convinced. <gasps> what? What? The court working the way it's supposed to? The court working the way it's supposed to? That's crazy talk. What I'm most concerned about is politicization. Now, the high court's already politicized. The four liberal members will always, always vote liberally. Sometimes when it's a procedural thing, they, they, they will seem to vote conservatively. But when it gets right down to it, when it's a final determination, they are always going to go liberal. That's why it's always a conservative who's the swing vote. It's never a liberal who's the swing vote. Have you noticed that? I've noticed that. Everybody's noticed that. And I, except until now, the internal deliberations of the Supreme Court seem to have been out of bounds. They seem to have not been uh, sucked into the same kind of partisan bickering that we've seen everything else. It's been one area where everybody was completely professional. The Supreme Court didn't leak. And anything you heard coming out of it was you know, often wrong. Uh, but, but, you just, it, but, but, but certainly never, never really primary sourced. This, that's why this is troubling to me. Somebody saw those memos. Somebody talked about those memos, maybe even showed them to CNN. And, of course, 
why would you go to CNN? Oh, because you're a conservative. No, it had to be a liberal uh, who really wanted to comp- he really really wanted to address the issues in the um, uh, you know among people trapped in airport lounges. So that's kind of how that went. I, I'm I'm a little disappointed. I, I I think this bodes poorly. I hope the Supreme Court takes its clerks, because it's probably going to be clerks, who are very junior lawyers. There's one or two years out of law school, usually two years, because they've done an our clerkship somewhere else, and they work very hard doing a lot of the grunt work for the judges, or justices, actually, because Supreme Court justice. And I think the Supreme Court uh, members need to make it very clear to these people that this kind of unprofessional conduct will not happen. If they become even more part of the partisan mix, and and they're already part, I think it's going to be a disaster for credibility of the court. Justice Roberts seems to rule often in a way that will not, as he believes it, undermine the the legitimacy of the Supreme Court as an institution. Now, I think he's wrong about that, but I think that's what he's trying to do. So he'll, he'll attempt to not make massive changes that really polarize people, like the abortion decision. However, I, I, I think he really, really, really needs to deal with this issue because it, it is just plain bad. Uh, what's good is the United States will pull nearly 12,000 troops out of Germany. We've got about uh, something like uh, 36,000 or so there right now. And... They're going to redeploy some to Belgium, some to Italy, some kind of to the Baltic states, others back to the United States. But 12,000 out. And the Germans are ticked. And who cares what the Germans think? Our, our friend of the show, Rick Grinnell, who was our ambassador to Germany just recently, he was spearheading an effort that's long overdue, which is to get the Germans to pay their fair share of their own defense. They were supposed to have 2% of GP, GDP, devoted to defense. They do not have that. Their military has shrunk. Uh, Much of their equipment doesn't work. Their training is lax. They've basically decided, well, you know, we'll let the Americans do it. And And they've gone and played footsie with Putin. They're trying to do the Nord Stream gas pipeline, for instance, which will allow natural gas to come from Russia straight into Germany and give the give the Russians the ability to cut it off making Germans reliant on them. Our arrangements in Europe, and I I have kind of a different perspective than uh, a lot of of the generals, you might say. I was only a colonel, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn. I have kind of a different perspective. First, my background, I served in Germany. I was in Seven Corps in Stuttgart, a place called Nellingen, which is now closed. There were 500,000 Americans in Germany when I was there at the time, the end of the Cold War, when the Cold War, when the wall fell, I was in Germany. There are 500,000 Americans. You would see American, because you can see American drivers, a special American license for military uh, members and their families. So you get out on the Autobahn every, you know, 15th, 20th car is an American. Uh, and there were signs for bases all over. They were called Casernes, K-A-S-E-R-N-E's. Uh, and, you know, Nelligan Concern, Kelly Concern, Robinson Concern, Concern, all these, all these, all these bases all over Germany. I mean, it's just this huge footprint. And the German army was huge, too. They had conscription. Every Fritz and Heinrich would uh, do his uh, hitch in the Bundeswehr 
uh, and they were a tough, tough, tough military. They're very, very good, very well trained, very well equipped, and there were lots of them. And it, it was serious business. This was the Cold War. But that was almost 30 years ago, right? That's, that. I mean, that's that's a long time. That was over 30 years ago that I was in Germany in the Wallfell. Um, and the Cold War, or uh, the World War II ended 70 years ago. It's about time to change these arrangements. Uh, NATO needs to change too. By the way, I have a NATO medal. I served under NATO and uh, with NATO, so I have kind of a perspective there. I'm the non-Article 5 for my time in Kosovo. The it's a it, it's been crying out for change and the establishment doesn't want to change. The establishment wants to pretend it's still 1985 and a bunch of Americans need to be there. Oh, and the Germans don't need to pull their weight. Look, you can't if you like NATO and if you want to protect Germany from Russia, then you have to support Rick Grinnell's view, President Trump's view, my view which is the Germans have to pull their fair share, not only because we need them, they, we, we simply couldn't put enough forces over there to carry all the weight, but Ameri- the American people are simply not going to subsidize uh, one, of the two or three, one of the three or four richest countries in the world. It's just not going to happen, and there's no reason for it to happen. And it's very, very annoying when the Germans get all mad, and they're mad about this. They're like, our president didn't consult with us about pulling out American troops who are doing the work that we should be doing. You're right, because we don't work for you. But getting uppity and fussy about it is like a really, really poor strategy. And... You know, maybe tough loves what we need because just kind of suggesting, hey, guys, you think you could kind of get your promise, pull your share. I mean, I don't want to make any trouble. I don't want to be a hassle here. I don't want to be like the, the you know, the sand and the gears, but it'd be really cool if you did it. Okay, that ha- we've tried that. It hasn't worked. So let's make it a reality. We get the 12,000 out of there. Uh, and the, the, the footprint will be much smaller. We still have Ramstein, which is big air base, uh, middle of Germany, kind of middle west. Um, Lahnstuhl, which is a, a, um, a big hospital that we use, uh, primarily to, you know, first treatment for people injured in the Middle East. Or actually, not first treatment, but first uh, evacuation treatment. They get treated there, and they get evacuated to Lahnstuhl for longer-term care. Uh, and then we have a lot of... Uh, uh, facilities for logistics out near Trier and out in that whole area, uh, kind of near Ramstein. But, you know, it's, and, and I think we still have Grafenveer, which is a big training area. I know we have Hohenfels, which is a training area. I spent a lot of time at Hohenfels. Yuck. Place is cold, but man, they had a good pork sandwich, man. You could go pork sandwich there about lunchtime at the Imbus. Oh my God. So tasty. I just love that stuff. Anywho, um, this is a situation, a status quo that cannot continue. They have got to pick up their fair share. They have got to take seriously their own defense. And as I think I put it in several of my books, uh, including the 21 lies, biggest lies about Donald Trump and you, look, if, you know, protecting Germany is not worth German lives and German money to the Germans. Why is it worth it to us? 
And that's a really good question. And I think that's, I, I think that it, it, there are a few issues to me that are clearer showing the gulf between the establishment and normal people. Because if you walk into a bar and there's a guy up at the bar and he's having a, you know, he's having a, uh, a rolling rock and eating, eating corn nuts. And you say, dude, can I ask you something? Oh, sure. What do you think, you know, the Americans spending billions and billions of dollars. We got like, you know, 30,000 30, troops over there, you know, but the Germans are not paying what they promised and they've let their military deteriorate. Do you think that's cool? And he's going to go, no, that's stupid. Why are we doing it? Why, why are our guys there? If, if they're not, if they're not doing, pulling their share, why should we? Okay, that's normal American state. Now, you go to something like the Council of Foreign Relations. Well, you know, the elements of national power, including diplomatic, informational, and economic power, supplemented by military power, compel us to continue to subsidize the German lifestyle and the German social welfare state by spending American money to avoid uncomfortable conversations at cocktail parties in Munich. All right. Not considerably different perspectives. And I think, Trump, you know, it's very you know, good luck convincing normal Americans, well, yeah, I guess we should keep subsidizing the Germans. I mean, they're the richest country in Europe. They're the place BMWs come from. And they've decided to spend billions of dollars on a bunch of illegal aliens instead of their own defense because they think we'll pay for their own defense. And that's, um, I, I just find that, I, I find that a hard sell. And I just don't think it's going to happen. So I'm, I'm all up for this move. Hey, Kurt, is this going to drop, is this going to significantly drop our uh, tactical ability to defend against Russia? Well, keep in mind, the border's moved. Okay, Poland is not an enemy now. Poland's an ally. The Baltic states are an ally. Romania is an ally. Hungary is an ally. These are, these are you know, frontline states. Germany is way, way in the back. So they're saying, well, you know, it's, it's, it's close to the Russians. Well, it used to be close to Russians. Now it's kind of far. Um, if you're going to do a defense, you're going to have to start in Poland. And you're going to have to start in the Baltic states, although there's no way we could hold the Baltic states uh, against a, uh, a concerted Russian attack. It's just not tactically possible. We're just not going to put enough guys there. And, it's and the logistics, are, it's just a mess. The bottom line is this is this is a good policy. This is what we need to do. If you're interested in saving NATO, the uh, American-German alliance, then you need to be serious about forcing the Germans to do what they need to do to be part of an alliance and not be perceived as exploiting Americans. In any case, um, you know, so we've talked about a couple interesting things here. There's so much more to talk about, and I could go on and on, but I'm not going to go on and on. I'm going to let you go here, but... First, I once again want to pitch my book, The 21 Biggest Lies About Donald Trump and You. You need to go get it. It's funny. It's fast. It's furious. It's uh, curious. Yellow. Anyway, check it out, and I will talk to you next time on the next edition of Fighting Words.